Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The number of men that are enrolled at two- and four-year colleges has fallen behind women by record levels, and there seems to be no reversal in sight. Part of the problem is that fewer men are applying to college, but there's also a whole host of other issues, including rising cost of education and the need to make money now. Some say the time and energy required is not worth the cost. Others have a lack of guidance or feel lost on what to do next in their lives. For more on how young men are giving up on college, we'll speak to Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at the Wall Street Journal. So around 1980, women and men had a parity on enrollment. And then ever since then, there's been a few more women every year that have increased uh, over men in enrollment. Um, And it's continued to grow inch by inch. And then during COVID, it accelerated significantly. And now we're at a point where it's at a record level. It's across two and four-year schools, 40% of enrolled students are male and 60% are female. Yeah, and we had seen uh, 1.5 million fewer students compared with five years ago. This is for U.S. colleges and universities. 71% of that drop was in men. And in the next few years, we're going to start seeing for every man that earns a college degree, two women are going to be earning college degrees. So, I mean, in that sense of things, it's great for the women that they're picking it up on that uh, on that side. But why do people suspect that men are just dropping out so much more? There's so many different things going on with this that it's tricky to unpack. But some of the reasons that are informing what's happening are that, first of all, right now under COVID, there's a tight labor market. So there's a lot of work you can do especially warehouse work and driver's work. A lot of college-age kids are are interested in doing. Men are a little bit less, a little bit more reluctant to go into debt than women. So that's one thing. Women are much better students in high school. So there's way fewer guys who are college eligible, college material. When they graduate, they graduate in lower levels and they enroll in lower levels and then they graduate college in lower levels. So they're less successful students and there's a lot of conversation about why that is probably the most provocative theory is that K-12 schools, you know, 85, 90% of the teachers are women and the schools are taught by women for girls and boys are considered broken girls. That's the phrase that gets tossed around in these conversations. And that the, the education system punishes boys who have just a greater proclivity to get up and run around and move and can't sit still and concentrate. And girls are more able to do that. So by the time boys are in second, third grade, they're not such a big fan of schools. They drop out at higher rates. They get suspended at higher rates. They get diagnosed with ADHD at higher rates. So it starts early. This is supposition. What I'm, what I've just told you is a lot of folks have looked into that, but that's kind of the gist of why they think this is happening. And then the other big structural shift I think that's happening and that's been happening for a while is that you know in the 1970s the United States moved away from vocational education. They said, we're not going to invest in this. What we want is a workforce that is college educated, college for all. And that just doesn't work for a lot of people. Of every hundred people who start college, 59% graduate in six years. That means that 41% don't, and it's actually greater for boys. So if you're not succeeding at college and you're risking going into significant debt to go to college or even getting a degree and being underemployed after college and not being able to pay off the debt, 
then you think to hell with it. And for guys, they think, well, there are other options. And those options in the last few years have begun to assert themselves, right? Apprenticeships and uh, sort of faster, cheaper credentials and pathways to the labor market are appearing. You spoke to a number of young men in this very case right now. And to your point right there, you you spoke to a, a boy who's 18 years old who Basically, you know, he's a great student. He didn't want to go to college. He took a landscaping job, makes $500 a week, and then earns money other ways as well. Uh, I think he makes some music, invests in cryptocurrencies. And so this is kind of a, a path that a lot of young men are taking. There's a huge amount of interest. The two things I heard, I reported this for several months, and the two things I heard the most from these young guys were crypto and Amazon. Amazon's hiring this couple thousand dollar um, sign-up bonus, check it out, and Crypto, easy money, get in early. There's a lot of that, right? I mean, we decentralize not just finance, but music. Or you can make a go and making a living in music. You don't need a record label deal to make it 20000 bucks a year. Now, there's just different options with the internet, and guys are tuning into this. If, on my TikTok feed, it's filled of side hustles to make extra money here and there. And I think there's just a sense among Gen Z that you're a sucker if you are working for a corporate nine to five because you're going to get tossed away as soon as they don't want you. So maybe a sense of independence that's, that's asserting itself to a little bit more among the men. Right. The, the quick money. Let's start making some money now, saving it, investing it in crypto, you know, all that versus, uh, quote unquote, wasting your time in colleges. And for the colleges themselves, you know, it's not for their lack of trying to get more men to apply and, and, and succeed and stay in school. You mentioned uh, in the article, too, a number of programs geared towards uh, helping men at Baylor University just to help them submit their high school transcripts. They have programs called Males and Moms Communication Campaign, you know, just to kind of uh, to give them that extra edge if they need it. There's two things happening. There's enrollment and there's retention. And the schools have been pretty aggressive under the table. They don't talk much about this. They've been pretty aggressive in putting their finger on the scale for men in admissions. And that means that if you have a son and a daughter, it's probably easier for your son to get admitted, especially to a private college, than your daughter. Because there are just more strong, eligible women who are applying to these schools. And these schools want to maintain at least a 40% number of, of guys because that is the um, just a, a sort of a golden line there. W- women are less likely to want to apply to a school if, if they really outnumber men. So that's one of those things that's not talked about, but it's been going on for a while. The other issue is retention. And this is sort of the, the, the third leg of the story, and, and it's really a fascinating issue, but it cuts across the issue of the politics of the universities. Universities were built by wealthy white men for their sons. And everybody who is going now who is, does not fit that description, the blacks and the Jews and the women who, who have built bridges to get into universities, they had to do just that. They had to make it fit for them. And they've done well. The universities are, are um, they don't look like they did 20 years ago. Um, and, and they're just starting to reflect the nation a lot more. But the hangover for that is that these white guys in particular, there's a, a headwind for the school to say, hey, let's help these guys out too. They're hurting. And the response is, these are the most privileged people in society. Why should we be pouring money into them when we really need to be helping poor black guys or, or Latino women or whatever it is. And, and, and so they get caught up in that. And, and that's an issue too. One of the things you mentioned in, uh, in the article and from talking to some of these young men is this uh, feeling lost, not necessarily knowing what to do next. One of the people you spoke to called it a hope deficit, you know, this lack of guidance that young men have. How did that play out in your conversations for this story? 
fatherlessness was a big problem, or it remains a big problem in the black community. Uh, I think it's 68% of children are raised in a single parent household. That is now a significant issue in the white community. And in the, I don't know about the Latina community, but this is spreading across the country pretty well. And to be raised without a dad is not good for either a brother or a sister, but boys are more vulnerable as children in a lot of ways. It sounds a little counterintuitive, but and they are more vulnerable to some of the problems that are associated with fatherlessness. So as fatherlessness becomes a more socially acceptable and more widespread issue, boys are suffering at a little bit of a higher rate than girls. And so that's probably feeding into this whole mess. It doesn't seem like there will be a reversal in the very, very near future. It seems like this would take some time. I have uh, administrators, anybody, colleges, universities, anybody that you've talked to feel like they might have a plan to reverse some of this or we're just going to kind of keep, you know, trying the best they can to, uh, as you mentioned, applying and then the retention there. I don't see this turning around, frankly. You know, what I see happening is the rise of these intermediate credentials. I think that the four-year diploma has reached its apex on the pendulum swing and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work as well as it used to or as well as it should, and it doesn't warrant it. The value's not there. So I think we're going to see just a growth in apprenticeships and these other things. And I think there's going to be a cultural shift in acceptance of women who are going to be having more high-powered jobs and earning more money because the bottom line is the gateway to the C-suite and to a lot of the um, most powerful positions in this country remain through college gates. And uh, I'm hard-pressed to see any evidence right now that this is going to turn around. If you look to Europe, there are countries in Europe where this is far more pronounced. This is a, a post-industrialized phenomenon that's happening in Europe now, in Australia. So schools are scrambling. They have some strategies. They have some tactics. They're making some headways in short bursts. I, don't, I doubt it'll hold, but we'll see. Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me. Finally, for this week, the Wall Street Journal set up 31 TikTok accounts registered to teenagers to see what the algorithm would serve them up. What they saw after thousands of videos was a never-ending stream of content related to sex, drugs, and eating disorders. TikTok's algorithm is engagement-based, so spend any amount of time on a video or re-watch it, and you'll get a flood of similar content. The company uses 10,000 people and other algorithms to police content, but the app does not restrict certain videos based on age. For more on how TikTok serves up videos to minors, we'll speak to Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. The process of what happened is we all have been talking a lot about what are the videos that we saw on TikTok. And not surprisingly, talking to friends, talking to the folks on this team, it was sort of funny hearing that, like, you know, I get a lot of dogs on TikTok, but, like, one of the people at our project was getting a lot of power washing videos. Apparently, that's like a thing. And so we were starting to wonder, what does TikTok serve to teens? Like, how can we find more information about the experience that teens are having or can have on TikTok? So we set out these 31 minor accounts. And so we kind of assigned them a date of birth and an IP address and also interests. And so this meant that these accounts would have interests that they would express by rewatching videos associated with certain content. So we were like, okay, what do... What do teens like? Well, some teens think about drugs, some think about sex, also other topics. So then we let loose these bots on the For You page. 
And they chugged along and rewatched content related to their interests and skipped content that was not kind of related to these interests that we had pre-programmed. But this was the only way they were expressing these interests. And the finding was pretty stark. TikTok can quickly drive minors among the biggest users of its app into these endless pools of content about sex and drugs. And that's what the uh, findings showed. I mean, uh, you know, you spend a little bit of time on one topic, people talking about some sexually explicit behavior or things related to that. And then what the app is going to do is serve you up, uh, you know, reams of that same stuff. And that's what you guys noticed. You guys even you know, shared some of the findings with TikTok and some of those videos in turn got banned or got removed because, you know, it didn't fit guidelines. We noticed like certainly some of the videos were taken down before we approached TikTok about them. And so it's either TikTok's moderators caught them or the creators themselves took it them down. We're not sure which. Then certainly after we approached TikTok with some of the videos, TikTok then removed many of them. And also our understanding is TikTok can also set videos to not necessarily be removed from the platform, but not recommended like to more users. So certainly there was like some action. So for example, one of the bots was registered as a 13 year old and TikTok served it. It was more than 500 videos about drug use, references to cocaine, meth addiction, and promotional videos for like online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. And like this, so that one like rabbit holed very severely on that topic. But other of the accounts that didn't rabbit hole so hard still were served kind of many of these videos around drugs or also sex content, like you were mentioning. Yeah. And and that's what, uh, you know, a lot of people have been critical of these type uh, engagement based algorithms. You know, YouTube had a big problem with that as well. And just from what I've been reading, right, TikTok has this super algorithm, which just uh, hooks you in a lot faster. And you you mentioned the uh, example about the drug. So help us walk down how that worked because it started off where the account was uh, watched a video of a girl walking through a forest or whatever, supposedly looking for marijuana. The next day it was like a marijuana themed cake. And then boom, it was just showing tons of like 420 content. And, and that's how those rabbit holes kind of develop. So the first couple of days of these accounts, typically they'd be served with like a broader range of more popular videos, like lots, you know, lots of funny content, but like, for example, this drug one, early on, it, it sees this one marijuana-related video, rewatches it, then there's more popular content. Then the next day, another marijuana-related video, this was the cake you mentioned, rewatches it, and then boom. Like, those were all the signals it needed to rabbit hole then on marijuana and drug-related kind of like content for the future after that. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, you shared some of this content with TikTok what was their response to all of this? Because one of the things that they said is you obviously set up bots. This isn't a real human. It's not a real person interacting there. So the experience is going to be different. But uh, there was many accounts where, you know, all of this content uh, that is not for young teens like that, uh, that sh- they shouldn't have been served up. So what, what what did they, how did they respond to it? Yeah. Yeah. So your point, like, yes, like TikTok, you know, made very clear that humans have diverse and changing interests. And that that's one of the ways that the behavior of humans won't quite match the experience of these bots. Why we did this was that there's not an easy way. Like TikTok doesn't have a way for like people to be able to see clearly what teens in general see on the platform. Like, it, you know, if parents pair with their specific teens, yes, they can get some insight into it. But for researchers or other people, like there's not a great way to know like what's trending among teenagers. What are teenagers seeing? But TikTok, they mentioned that 
They're looking into potentially creating a tool that would filter content for younger users. And so that could look almost like a TV rating system so that like for a young user, you might get like, you know, PG related types content for an older user, maybe it would be like PG 13 esque types content. So that's something they're, they're looking into and they, they could, that's a change that we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for that they could implement in the future. That could be a helpful tool because there's a lot of content creators themselves that they'll tag their, their content as for adults only or 18 plus or whatever. And, you know, not all of them, right? But some of them say, hey, I don't even want kids looking at my stuff because I'm yeah. not gearing it towards them. But so, yeah, so, exactly. so, so in that sense, that could be a useful tool. Very useful. We spoke to some users who kind of are staples in this kink talk community. And many of them were saying that in their bios on their profile pages, like even there they list 18 plus. And many of them say for adults only kind of in labels on the videos. Explicitly, they're making a value judgment that this video they're creating, they don't believe is appropriate for children or for minors. And many of them do not want minors viewing their videos. And so that absolutely could be both helpful for them and then also helpful for TikTok, the company, because it's a hard challenge figuring out what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for every single kind of slice of every demographic. Like, I don't want to lose sight of the challenge there, but given some creators are already labeling their videos, that certainly seems like a signal that the company could use to help filter the content. And how does TikTok monitor and police that content? Because this is something that we've gone through with every social media platform from Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, everybody, right? They get teams to go through and deem it not good. They'll remove it. The company said in a recent report, they removed 89 million videos in the second half of last year because people are posting up so much content. So how does TikTok go about doing it? Yeah, exactly. That is a lot of videos. TikTok has more than 10,000 people who work on this moderation stuff. So it's a combination of algorithms and this force of people. And so the algorithms will identify videos that the company kind of believes are likely to be breaking certain rules. And then the humans come in to be like, yes, indeed, that's kind of violates the sexually explicit content policy or that violates a rule against violence. But interestingly, earlier this year, they rolled out this change where for certain types of content, if the algorithms have a very high degree of confidence that something is breaking the rules, they'll actually take the video down before a human has looked at it. And this was an important change in helping the company be able to take stuff down faster because before it had to wait for a human to like get to it in the queue to look at it. At the same time as they're trying to figure out how to do this moderation at scale, the platform itself has absolutely exploded. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, now there's like at least, you know, a hundred million users, you know, folks who watch TikTok in the U S and certainly a subset of them who are posting in 2019, that was 25 million. So just in the span of a couple of years, it's way more content they're dealing with. Yeah, they have 100 million users now, and they upload tens of thousands of videos every minute. For parents and, and even teens and people out there looking, you know, you got to be careful what, what you hover on because, you know, the algorithm is going to serve it back up to you. So interesting look. I suggest everybody go and read the piece out there uh, by Georgia and her colleagues. Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Thank you.